0: And welcome back, Hawkeye Fans, for another edition. Of our Hawkeye History podcast here at Hawkeye Nation. Um, happy to be joined this week by former Hawkeye linebacker Grant Steen. So yeah, Grant, thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's always nice to be remembered. Uh, it's been a long time since I've stepped on the field for the Hawkeye. so um, it's always cool to uh, catch up and do things like this with uh, people from the media.
0: And you still have a 319 area code on your cell phone, so you can't, I mean, you obviously can't give Iowa up.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, it's just too big of a hassle to (laughs) change your phone number. I've lived quite a few places since my time in in Iowa City, but it's super convenient to keep that uh, 319 number. And it's always a good talking point when you meet people, too.
0: Um. Let's let's start there, if you will. Let's start with um, kind of your path since you've left Iowa, and then we'll circle back around to your time uh, with the Hawkeyes. Um, let's start with what you're doing now. Let let the uh, fans know kind of what uh, you're up
1: to these days. Sure. Um, well, my last year playing for the Hawks was 2003. Um, kind of had a long journey since then, as as a lot of people do. But currently, I'm a I'm a strength and conditioning coach for the Seattle Seahawks, and I came into being a strength coach, um, in 2009, um, I became a graduate assistant strength coach at the University of Hawaii, and shortly after, um, being there as a grad assistant, I was hired full-time and spent four years, um, working at the University of Hawaii, which my wife and I loved, we, we didn't really see ourselves leaving there, um. Met a couple of coaches through, you know, doing different conferences, and we brought out coaches to do coaching clinics at the university, and one of those coaches was um, Ivan Lewis. And he, at that time, he was the head strength coach at the University of Washington. So in 2013, made a hard decision to leave Hawaii and come to uh, University of Washington. Um, at the end of the 2013 season, um, Steve Sarkeesian was hired to be the head coach at USC so our staff moved down to Los Angeles and um, I was there for 14 and 2015 um, got an opportunity um, to kind of move up um, the coaching ranks and moved to Stanford for 2016 um, which was uh, interesting because that was right after the Hawks lost in the (laughs) Rose Bowl so the players were very eager to give me a hard time but had a great time at Stanford um Life kind of changed there for a little bit for us, uh, kind of reevaluated some things. I took a step back from um, the college atmosphere for a couple of years, and I worked at a company called Exos um, down in Florida. Exos is well-known throughout the um, performance industry for combine training, for pro athletes, for off-season training. Um, and at the facility that I worked at in Florida, we did a lot with the uh, special operations community Um so there every branch of the military came through our building um and it was a it was really eye-opening experience for me to be around some very high level um operators uh, that was my first experience working with military personnel and it was great um but then here in um early in 2019 uh Ivan Lewis got the head job here at the Seahawks and it was great to reunite with him up here and a couple other guys that I worked with at USC so I'm, I'm extremely excited to be working in the NFL. Uh, my NFL playing career really never got off, um, and panned out, but this has been an amazing experience working with, um, number one, working with great coaches, great people around the building, around the organization. So, um, it's been a fast, um, last 10 years or so since I started coaching, but, uh, it's been great.
0: Yeah. It's got to be hard to leave Hawaii, man.
1: Yeah. It's, um, You know, uh, I I grew up like I grew up in northwest Iowa and spent a lot of time on the lakes and stuff being outdoors. And so my wife and I were big surfers like we started surfing long before we moved to Hawaii. We were kind of already living on the West Coast. Um, We lived in Arizona for a little while. We lived in L.A. for a while. Um, So that was like the hardest part, honestly, is, you know, kind of leaving like the lifestyle that we had there um and just great people like the community our coaching staff their families really are very welcoming there and uh, made a lot of great friends so yeah leaving Hawaii was tough a lot of the the coaches that I've met along the way they're like you're supposed to finish your career in Hawaii not start it so um you know it is what it is it's been fun though
0: so do you get a hard time from or have you gotten a hard time from coach Pete Carroll about the orange ball
1: you know what? It it really only came up one time, and he's probably forgotten about it. You know, that was a long. He's coached a lot of games, and he's had a couple Super Bowls in there, so I think the Orange Bowl is a distant memory for him. But um, yeah, he gave me a hard time about it right when we got up here. So um, a lot of the SC fans remember that game. That was like Carson Palmer's, you know, uh, icing on the cake of his amazing career.
0: Um. How how would you compare and contrast strength and conditioning at the college level to the NFL level?
1: Sure, the the biggest thing is in college the players are always the same age. You know, they're eighteen to twenty two, twenty three, depending on if they redshirt or not. Um, whereas in the NFL, guys are coming in um, as young as twenty, and then as old as you know thirty four, thirty five. So. The age range is a big difference. Um, Mm. Guys can train pretty hard and intense, you know, their first four to six years, depending on their background. Um, And then it's a lot of communication um, with the older players. You know, they have things that they like to do. Um, They have things that they're dealing with physically. Um, They got a busy, busier uh, personal life. You know, they're probably married with families and things like that. So just the open communication. Um, but they still want to work. You know, don't don't let the um, misconception that pro players don't want to work, that that is a false um, false thing that people might think. They, they want to work and they want to train hard. Um, so a lot of times you have to be the brake pedal rather than the gas pedal of some of the older guys. You know, they want to train hard. You just got to make sure that you set them up for success with what we're doing inside the training atmosphere.
0: How did you get into strength and conditioning? What was kind of the impetus to go into that field?
1: Well, it kind of goes all the way back to my high school experience. Um, you know, I went to the, went to Emmitsburg High School. My dad's a high school coach. He was our defensive coordinator when I was a player. Then he became the head coach, um, and our head coach, Dwayne Twight, um and my dad were huge, huge advocates of how we could gain an edge through um, through the weight room, through training and being organized and being accountable to your teammates and um it proved to be a big difference maker when I was in high school um, you know our team was was in the weight room they were doing the things to prepare themselves, so that's where it started really um and then I had a school project i want to say I was in eighth grade on kind of like a career you know, things that you would like to do in your career. And they said you cannot pick being a pro athlete. So that one was out the window. So um, I had always wanted to coach, and I'd kind of starting to, you know, enjoy the weight room and investing things. And then and it just ironically, the summer before um, this project, the head strength coach from Iowa State at the time, Matt McGettigan, he came to our high school and did a, a coaching clinic because we had just built a brand-new weight room and my dad and Coach Twait wanted to make sure that everything was organized in a safe and efficient manner. So a, re- a little bit of a relationship was created there, um, and I actually interviewed him for this project, and he kind of laid out, you know, what being a strength and conditioning coach in college was like, and I was like, man, that sounds like something I'd really like to get into. So that was kind of my first experience with the field, um, and then Like a lot of players and people that you interview probably on this show, Coach Doyle um, made it happen for me, you know. Um, I thrived under – I thrived in his program. I thrived um, on the field because of his program, and he's the one that helped me get into this field, you know. My my time as a player was – after college was pretty brief, and I knew I wanted to coach, and it was kind of, you know – at the time, what, was, what, were, what were the opportunities at that time? So this was, you know, 2007, 2008. You know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go down the position coach route. Um, do I want to go down the strength and conditioning coach route? And it just so happened an opportunity at Hawaii um, on the strength and conditioning side came up. And ironically, Coach Doyle had coached um, the head strength coach's brother, um, when he was a college player at Utah. So there was a little bit of connection there and I was, I was able to kind of work my way in the door that way. So it just was really like a lot of things in life, a matter of timing and opportunity. So, um, but again, like you have to have a passion for what you do. And I've always, I've always felt that having a physical preparation advantage, um, was a key for me. And I just try to, um, you know, bring that to what I do now, um, in my job.
0: Other than kind of connections and things like that, in what way did Coach Doyle impact you or just going through his program and, and probably, you know, since you've left, I'm sure you've probably leaned on him for advice too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we have enough time in the show to talk about all the ways that not only Coach Doyle, but every single coach um, at Iowa really impacted me. But, you know, Specifically, Coach Doyle's program is just it's doing things really, really well, doing the simple things really well. You know, a lot of times there's a misconception um, with training, you know, athletes that we have to be doing these, you know, really, really fancy, um, exotic things to gain an edge. When honestly, like showing up, giving great effort and being consistent are probably the the most overlooked things, um, not only in physical preparation, but probably – um, in sports in general, and you could probably take that into any any field of work that people do. If you, if you show up consistently and you put in the work consistently, you're going to get results. Now, after you gain some results, then you kind of got to navigate some different um, specifics to what you're doing, but um, just being consistent with how you approach things. You know, Coach Ferentz is the same way. Like, he's, he's never too high. He's never too low very intense and listens, you know, so just all the, all those things, just soaking it up. And, you know, I I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to coach. So, you know, I definitely was paying attention to a lot of those things, you know, maybe more so than, you know, guys that had no desire to coach. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just an amazing, amazing person to be around.
0: What's, so what's a day like for you? um maybe maybe every day is different I'm not sure I mean, yeah um
1: work day is like yeah so in the NFL um it's pretty normal that you know the game game on Sunday most teams come back to work on Monday uh, um and that for us is a big day for um what we do so we're going to get the guys to you know first of all we got to evaluate you know kind of the injuries that happen to the game and how we need to adjust their training and um, little things that we need to do with them to, um, you know, expedite some of the healing. Um, we're going to do a lot of soft tissue stuff. <clears throat> um, most of our guys are really good at doing that outside of themselves. And that's kind of more of a trend now with pro athletes, like having a lot of people around them to take care of soft tissue, to take care of, you know, individual needs. But we're going to check those boxes as well. Um, and that's a pretty big lift day for our players as well. It's a big, film review day um Pete Carroll calls it the uh tell the truth monday so looking at the looking at the film um seeing what happened um things like that tuesday is an off day in the NFL for the players um it's not an off day for all the coaches um you know we have guys that'll come in to do some extra work guys that are working up on rehab stuff maybe they're doing a uh return to play protocol with us and then it's pretty standard after that. You know, the guys are going to get one to two more training sessions with us on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, big practice days on Wednesday and Thursday kind of taper down on Friday. You know um, you might be traveling, you know, here on the West coast. Uh, you know, if we play an East Eastern time zone game, we travel on Fridays um, and then walk through Saturday and turn it up on Friday. So it's just, it's it's basically the same layout as a college schedule, except everything's one day later, you know.
0: Do um, you have long-term goals, or do you kind of just go day by day?
1: You know, I I was pretty eager uh, when I first became, you know, a strength and conditioning coach, like, hey, I want to be a head strength coach, like, tomorrow. Um, and I've really, really embraced kind of the role of being an assistant strength coach, because you get to do a lot more of the... Um, I guess, for lack of a better word, game planning. You know, I get a, I get a attack more of the programming. I get to coach a lot more of the details and be involved with the players, um, whereas a head strength and conditioning is, their time is, you know, really, really bought up, um, not only at the pro level but at the college level. You know, they're doing a lot of meetings. They're doing a lot of planning with administration. Um, they're still coaching, but they, they really rely on their assistants to do a lot of the – you know, detailed work and planning of what's going on. And I really enjoy the, the planning and, um, you know, talking to the players, you know, about, hey, how do they feel, what they're doing? Um, so some of my initial eagerness to be a strength, to be a, a head strength coach or director has kind of maybe been tempered. Um, that's definitely a long term goal, but I'm not in a rush to do it. You know, the longer, the longer that I'm in this, it's all about who you're, who you're around and who you're working for. Um, not necessarily just, Hey, you have the title and, uh, you know, everything's you know good after that. So I, I enjoy what I'm doing right now. Um, and it would just, it all depends on maybe who calls you and things like that. Um, I've had those calls in the past and, um, some I've just automatically said, no, that's not for me. And, Um, honestly, other ones I just didn't get, I went through the interview process and, you know, wasn't fortunate to be hired. So, um, again, I'm not in a hurry, but that is a long-term goal, um, in the right opportunity.
0: I think you said you got into the, the field in 2009. Um, what was going on between the time you left Iowa, you gave the pros a try, and then what, what were some of the things that you kind of tested out before you landed on this? Yeah. This profession?
1: Well, okay. So my last year playing was 2003. Um, uh, I was an undrafted free agent in 2004, um, my rookie year to the uh, new England Patriots um, went all the way through training camp there and was released um, on the final cut. Um, had some, had some in-season workouts with different teams and nothing really happened that rookie year um, until after the season, the Patriots re-signed me to their um, to their team going into 2005 and they allocated me to play in NFL Europe, which I had no idea really what NFL Europe was. Um, I'd seen it on TV, but I didn't know the details behind it. Um, so basically NFL Europe was just a, another opportunity for, For guys like myself to get film at a professional level. So I ended up playing in Frankfurt, Germany in 2005 and our team was awful. (laughs) (laughs) You have, you have 50 players on your roster and by the, at the last game of the year, we had 28 new players on our team. Um, You know, guys were getting hurt, things like that. There's not many transactions where guys, you know, kind of once you make the team, you're going to be playing there, the whole team. So it was, it was a little different. You weren't having a lot of roster moves, but guys were just getting hurt. But it was a great, I mean, amazing life experience. You know, I, I didn't really have a big desire to go to Europe, um, so I got to go over there and, and play football and do it. Um, came back with the Patriots, again, was in a pretty good spot, um, and it just didn't work out again. They released me after training camp was over. And about, I don't know, two weeks later, I ended up going up, To Montreal in the CFL and I played up in Montreal in 2005 2006 um, and had a great experience up there as well it's a different game there's some different rules Um, you know the roster has to be half American half Canadian so Mm -hmm. that can really that can really vary um, depending on injuries and things like that on you know making decisions it's a pretty tough business for the front office people there um, when they get into the meat of the season and guys get hurt, and they have to make sure that the ratio is right, and I kind of got caught up in that a little bit and wasn't able to stay there long term. Um, I knew kind of, I knew at that point football was kind of coming to an end and arena football had changed the rules at that time where you don't have to play both ways. So I played one season in, of arena football um, in Arizona, and at that time my my wife had gotten a job in Arizona, so it kind of worked out in both ways. She got a job there while I was still playing in Arizona, playing in the CFL, and moved down there, played a season, and then the Arena Football League folded for a little while after that, so that was obviously the end of the road for football, which I kind of knew what was happening. Everybody kind of knows when their time is done, and so there was about a year there where I was just trying to I was working odd jobs. I'd worked at a high school there in Phoenix, um, which is a really good high school. Um, a all-boys school, Brophy High School. Um, was working there kind of in the weight room. I was coaching um for them and, you know, just one thing led to another. My wife got a job in LA and we moved to LA and then shortly thereafter I got the opportunity to go to Hawaii, so we packed up and moved to Hawaii. So things you know, there, there's a whirlwind time as a, as a player after college when you're kind of on the bubble of, you know, making it, not making it. What do you do? You know, um, there's, there's a saying in the NFL, like, it only takes one team to fall in love with you, you know. So, um, for me, it just, you know, I never really lasted a long time. So, about four years from 04 to 08 in there where I was kind of in and out, in and out, playing, not playing, um, and then coaching started.
0: You you touched on this, and, and I always find this interesting. And to ask guys this question, um, you say you kind of knew it was your time was up; it was time to to move on from the game, at least from a playing perspective. Uh, what do you remember from that, and, and how do you know?
1: Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, you know you you put a lot of you put a lot of time and a lot of um, effort into making it and going into the draft my agent you know was very honest with me he's like you know you're a you're a late round pick you're a free agent guy um I was also a long snapper too so I had a little bit of versatility on my side um you know to try and do a couple things but he was like you need to give this about two years um, because once you're out of it for an extended period of time you know it it's over, you know, and it happens all the time. Guys are like, Oh, you know, I've been out for two years. I'm still in good shape. And, you know, you just got to tell them like, Hey man, it's over, you know, you need to start thinking what's going to happen. So I kind of knew that going into it. And, but by, by no means that I have a plan B, you know, if, if, if you have a plan B you're probably already on the plan B. I, I just wanted to go all in on it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, between, between times in New England, I was back in Iowa city. I would train, um, I had a couple of side jobs to just kind of keep me busy, pay the bills. Um, I was living with – I lived with Sean Considine for a little while while he was still in school. He let me just kind of sleep on a couch. You know, everybody has those stories. Um, but it's kind of during that time, you know, I talked to Coach Doyle. I talked to Coach Ferentz, and Coach Ferentz was like, well, you can probably chase this, and you know, until you're married or you have kids. And I wasn't married or had kids at the time. And, you know, that that's kind of reassuring. But you just got to – you got to have a time frame in your mind. You know, um, it gets hard to chase the dream um, when when really nothing's happening. But fortunately for me, things happened there for about four years where um, I didn't make any money, but I didn't lose any money. And I had a great time doing it. Um, I learned a lot about the, the business. You know, um, Robert Gallery was my roommate my last three years in college. So I know what it looks like from a number two pick in the draft. And I know what it looks like for me as a free agent guy. So it, it's really been worthwhile now where I'm at, because I can relate to where guys are as they come into our building. Um, and it just gives you a lot of credit. You know, I had, I, I played, um, I played professionally and not a lot of strength coaches have um, college experience or definitely pro experience under their belt. Um.
0: Going back, and you talked on, the, you talked about this earlier, um, in the interview that uh, for, I, we're a little bit older, and I'm not sure people understand how good of a program you played for in high school. Huh. Um, yeah, you know, with Coach Tweed. I mean, we have an understanding of that, but sometimes, um, you know, it's, as time marches on, uh, people forget. But um, how did that prepare you for Iowa? And at what point did you feel like, because you were a walk-on. I mean, you were a walk-on yep. just like you were an undrafted free agent. You're, you're, you've you kind of had to push your way in since the
1: beginning. Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the, the <laughs> it's funny you say they forgot about it. It's, unfortunately, Emmitsburg isn't as strong as they were. A lot of things have changed. Not a lot of people are there anymore, so they're yeah. playing at a, so I think they're playing 1A football now, Um, you know, they're still making the playoffs and whatnot, but it was, it was, it was a serious thing. You know, it was, you know, demanding, it was tough. It was uh high expectations. And um I, I didn't really realize how high the expectations were until I was a senior, you know, my junior year team, um it, it arguably was the best team in Emmitsburg history. And I'll, I'll go on record with that. I think, Every single player that started played college football or college sports. Um, So, I mean, number one, it was a a very talented group of guys. But when I became a senior, I was like, man, there's a lot of pressure because those other really good guys are gone. And we ended up losing. Uh, We were the number one team or number two team, and we lost to West Lyon in the first round of the playoffs. And they were number one or number two. It was like number one and number two playing the first round of the playoffs. Um, and it was like, man, the expectations are really high. And now you lose in the first round of the playoffs. So you understood what it was like to have pressure. But I think in my scenario, it's like a lot of kids from Iowa get overlooked and they have to, and they end up walking on because people don't think the competition's really that great. And, you know, are they going to be that good at the college level? And I was just used to, you know, working hard and doing things right. And I had a great football IQ and that goes back to, you know, learning football and being a coach's son, you know, you pick things up fast. And that's why I was able to, you know, get on the field early at Iowa, because I I didn't need a lot of learning reps. I could just see the schemes and, you know, um, figure them out. It helped me at the NFL level, too. You know, a lot of things in New England were similar schematically to how we did things at Iowa. And I was able to learn fast and be reliable. It just You know, there's some different things in the NFL. There's a lot of numbers and balancing things that happen. So um, anybody that comes from a winning program, um, they got a little extra inside them. They know how to win. They know how to compete. Um, I'm just very fortunate that, you know, I was raised in a great program, you know.
0: So I'm sure you had opportunities to play at smaller schools and maybe get Scholarships or yep. assistance or whatever—did you think about that at all, or, or give it any thought, or was it like I'm, I want to test myself at the highest level?
1: Um, yeah, I definitely had opportunities um, at other schools, um, you know, smaller level schools. You know, up in Northwest Iowa, there's a lot of um, D2 schools, and a lot of those schools now are one double A. You know, the South Dakota, South Dakota State, right. um, some of the Minnesota schools. Um, you know, so I had opportunities, but I just, I had gone to so many camps, um, you know, during high school. And I saw some of those guys that had signed with, you know, Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska. And I'm like, these guys are not better than me. Um, you know, and there was an opportunity to go to Iowa. There was opportunity to, I probably could have walked on at a lot of schools, you know, what colleges will take walk-ons nowadays, you know. No problem, um, but I just knew I knew deep in my heart that I could play and that I could play really well, you know, and Iowa was my dream school. you know we were a Hawkeye family, so to go to to go to Iowa and to do it was was really my goal all along, so it's just they get the the coaches there give opportunities, and you just got to take them
0: well if I remember correctly you you were almost built. That, that you were almost the prototype for that Leo linebacker position, just kind of a, <laughs> the, just kind of that look, that the the you know the, that skill set. Did you feel comfortable in that spot from from day one? I think
1: Lavar was the prototype, and I just happened to yeah. be the next guy. You know, <laughs> people. I, I don't know how many people realize how good Lavar really was. You That's know, he played point. eight played eight years in the NFL yeah. and played really well. He was fast. Um, I think he was like, he might've won the hundred meter dash in high school. Like the guy was an amazing athlete. Um, and he was, he was my mentor those first couple of years. Like he's, he more met, more mentoring than I've seen a lot of older guys be the younger guys. Now that I've been around a lot of places, like willing to take time out of his, um, out of his day, you know, Hey, call me if you need something, call me if you want to go over the playbook, you know, let's get up on the, in the meeting room. So I just give Lavar a lot of credit and a big shout out there. But um, playing the Leo position was it was easy for me because that's what I played in my first couple years in high school. So it was an easy transition. Where I think some guys come in um, and play in that position, they've maybe played safety or they've played inside linebacker, um, and it's just a little different feel when you're on the on the line of scrimmage and you're you know the tight is right there in front of you or O lineman's right there in front of you. It just happens a lot faster. And you have to be very, very disciplined with your eyes. Um, You can't be looking in the backfield trying to make tackles or the ball is going to be outside you in a heartbeat. So, um, yeah, I guess in a sense I was made for that position. And obviously, you know, as the game has evolved, that position's evolved and it's a little different now. It's kind of a hybrid. You know, I think Christian Kirksey, um, A.J. Eads, some of the guys that played after me really, really were – at that next kind of wave of what that position really looks like. And now it's kind of transitioned to a big defensive back. So it's just a matter of how the schemes go, you know, football evolves. Um, you know, but it's definitely a, it's a fun position because you have to be able to do a lot of things and you, um, you get to do a lot of different roles on the field.
0: Yeah. It's been a good position for Iowa. I mean, you think about yeah. it, you named a couple of guys and then you got Ben Neiman, who's with the chiefs and is yep. playing it now. And, uh, it makes it, I, I would think it makes guys traf, attractive to the NFL, a guy that has that type of versatility.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the NFL, there's so many schemes. Um, you know, that the under defense that, you know, Norm ran um, when I was there, you know, still you'll, it shows up in the NFL. You've got to have a guy that can do that, but that guy also has to be able to cover a back out of the backfield one-on-one. You know, he's got to be able to – play in space Um, and it's even harder in the NFL because you have such a short window to reroute guys and do things at the line of scrimmage. Um, And then in the open field, you have to be able to do stuff. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if guys really, really understand the position coming out of high school, unless they've had some experience playing it. I think honestly, some guys get frustrated playing that position because your role is not to make a lot of tackles, Right. you know, Um, your role is to set the edge on a run play and, you know, let the mic backer let the strong safety make the tackle. Um, you're going to make your plays in space in the passing game. You're going to make your plays um, on outside run plays. But um, it, it's a it's a very disciplined position that no that goes unnoticed until something bad happens, and then it's you know like hey what you know what happened on that play? Well, you know the Leo backer lost contain or the Leo backer didn't reroute the the slot receiver and it's a big game. So it's definitely a kind of a position that if you really, really know the ins and outs of football, you appreciate. But if you're just the the casual fan, you would never know what's going on.
0: So what was it like you kind of were growing up as a college player, as the program was growing around you? What do you remember from that time, just from you guys kind of getting sand kicked in your face to, you know, becoming successful
1: yeah it was definitely you know the 99 2000 2001 seasons um it, it was tough because you saw a lot of great players around you and guys that are working really hard um but it's just i think it's part of growing a program you know um you know you're going to go through some rough times you're going to lose some games um but we all saw the work um that was going on behind the scenes. We, you saw the coaches working hard, recruiting hard, you know, um, the players inside the locker room still believing, you know, it, a lot of guys were young um, and it just happened. You know, it's, it's just being a, it's a, the case of guys being consistent in what they do and believing in what they do. And, um, you know, you saw what happened 2001, you know, we win a bowl game 2002, we won a big 10 title 03, you know, we win a bowl game. 04, Big Ten title. It just kind of that, that 01 to you know 04, 05 era. Just like boom, the fruits of all that hard work for the coaches and players. You know, it it happened. You know, so it w- it was fun to be a part of that for sure. It was definitely fun to be a part of that. You learn a lot. Um, you learn how hard it is to win, and you learn how fun it is to to win. And um, yeah, there, just so many things. That you go through in a, in a hard time in 99, 2000, till boom, you win a Big Ten title in 02, and it's like this big weight off your shoulder. Then the challenge, you know, re- is consistency after that to keep doing it without this, hey, we gotta climb the mountain. Um, hey, we, we clum the mountain. Now what do we do? So got to experience both sides of that, and it was, it was an amazing time.
0: Do you still remember the name Gibber and Hamden?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, his, uh, (laughs) it's funny because I think his brother at one point in time was the offensive coordinator here at UW. Um, and I was reading the news and I'm like, man, I think that, that's the same guy. And then I'm like, oh, it's his brother. So yeah, that game at Indiana was, uh, it was, it was a great game. It was, it was not all earned on me. Like the guy threw me a couple gifts. Um, but it was fun. You know, it's always fun to have a game where you feel like you really made a big impact. Um, and you know that was a, it was a tough afternoon there in Indi- at Indiana, and three red zone stops always helps the cause.
0: Yeah, for those listeners that don't remember, I I believe you still have the record for three interceptions in a game. Did I, do you share that with somebody? Yeah, there
1: there's there's like ten I think about ten linebackers that have three picks in a game, and I actually coached um, a linebacker at USC. Uh, Cam Smith, he had three picks in a game, and I was telling him, like, hey, man, like, you just tied my record, and he's like, what are you talking about, so I had to kind (laughs) of, I had to, like, show him, like, we had to go in my office, you know, later that week, and, you know, pull up the NCAA record book online, and be like, hey, it's you, me, and about 15 other guys, so don't think it's that special, but, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if it's still in the Iowa record book, I feel like there's probably been a couple guys after me that have, you know, done it, or tied it, or done one more, but, um, you know, It was a cool experience. And like
0: you said, that game was a dogfight. It rained crazy the night before that. And I remember they put sand on the field and spray-painted the sand at at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. It was not a good scene there. And it was just – then the next day was hot and humid, and it just – you guys were in a dogfight with that team.
1: Yeah, I mean – you, if you look at that season, which I'm sure you've had, uh, you know, you've looked at it a lot more than I have. Like we had a lot of dogfight games, you know, the that game, the Purdue game, um, you know, it wasn't all just blowouts. Um, oh, that
0: game you know, at Miami of Ohio was a.
1: Oh, that was a. That was a, I think that was like a five point game. You know, trying to get out of there, you know, um was tough. So that was that was. I mean I'm sure I could argue with a lot of fans but to me that's the greatest Hawkeye Hawkeye team that coach Ferrence has had um I'm sure every class that's had success you know will say that I'm sure the the 04 guys would say that but and then the guys that have you know they went to the Big 10 title game the Rose Bowl team the 09 team but I think if you just look man for man at that 02 team you know it was a pretty tough team to compete with um in Hawkeye legacy and it was a great experience, you know great experience I
0: would agree i I covered the last two years of Coach Fry and then all of Coach Ferentz and two thousand and two to me is still the standard, and <laughs> I've debated that with people before, but I've covered them all, so I understand and um, <laughs> i I'm with you um so that Indiana game grant, and then the next week you guys are in Ann Arbor, and yeah it almost was like because you guys struggle with Indiana, you guys. I think outsiders were thinking, ah, eh, I don't know if they're going to be able to win in the big house. But sure. to me, that that was the, yeah, yeah, this is this is uh, something special moment.
1: I think we surprised. I mean, I think we probably surprised ourselves um, at how just physically dominating that game really was. I mean, uh, if I, I I'm trying to remember back if it was ever really close. You know, no, it seems it, like we it seems like we just kind of snowballed them. You know, there was a muffed punt, there was big touchdowns, there was big sacks. Um, You know, I just don't remember them really doing much. The only thing from their end that I can really remember is I think the, the quarterback scrambled for about 40 yards on a broken play. Um, You know, but that was a, it was a pretty good feeling. That was, that was my only experience playing in Michigan. Um, You know, just how the schedules line up and, you know, it was a great game to have if it was the only one that you were going to have in Michigan.
0: The O three team, you guys just got destroyed down in the desert.
1: No, that was that was the year after me.
0: Was that 04? All right, yeah, you
1: got
0: You guys O three. You beat uh, you guys beat Arizona State, right? With the yeah. the kid that came in was going to with all the Heisman hype.
1: Yeah, so. I think we, we, that was like a 21 to two game. Like, um, you know, they had like a punt that pinned us deep on the goal line and there was like a bobbled snap that, you know, yeah. just, I think Nate just took a, took a safety so that it wasn't anything worse. But yeah, we played Arizona state at home in Oh three. Um, our losses in Oh three were at Michigan state, which, that's a that's a tough place to play. Um, I never won up there. We lost at Purdue. Um, never won there. I lost there in 01 and 03, and then we lost a close one at Ohio State. That's right. So those were our three losses in 03.
0: Yeah, um, Kirk, Kirk still brings up that, that Michigan State game. He still kicks himself for, for, for kicking that away to Smoker and letting him get the ball first.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, you know, I think – we might've let them out the gate, like first two drives of the game, they're up 14, nothing. And, you know, then we start to claw back. We did the same thing that same year to Michigan. I think we were down 14 or 17 and nothing. And then, you know, we claw our way back, you know, um, just sometimes that's how it goes. You know, you're playing, you're playing defense and they're coming out with maybe a, a new route combination or things like that, that they know how to attack us. And um, just happens like that. But You know, um, Michigan State's a tough place to play, you know, for sure. You know, it ended up being a close game. I think it came down, like, to the last possession. Um, But, yeah, tough place to play up there.
0: But you did end the Iowa State streak that year. You guys went to Ames and and had your way with the Cyclones. That must have been, for you as an in-state kid, that must have been one of the highlights of your career, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I've – I've said that before. It was, um, you know, we had our opportunities and to do it in the previous two years and just, you know, um, they made that, you know, Seneca Wallace, that guy was unreal making plays in Oh one and Oh two to, to help win those games. Um, Oh one, obviously hurts for me a little bit more cause I fumbled an interception that probably would have led to a score for us. But, um, yeah,
0: I'm, both. I'm glad you brought that up so I
1: didn't <laughs> No, I, I get ripped on it by everybody I mean <laughs> Norm Parker you know for the next two years every time we did like a uh a turnover circuit would make sure that um he referenced that play so it's you a fair trying, game
0: you were trying to make a play
1: yeah I mean not often do you get the do what you do, do you do you get interceptions and I guess my running back days from from Emmitsburg didn't carry over because <laughs> I've been used to carrying the ball but yeah the the O two 2 game again like we were up big and I mean that guy was special you know yes. like they even they, they he played up here for the Seahawks and the staff around here talk about how special he was so I mean he was a great player but yeah to to kind of end their little mini streak there in, in uh 3 at their place um, yeah that, that was that was fun it was fun and and we steamroll them there. I mean, um, we we had the game intact pretty much the whole game. But um, you know, it, w- it was a fun game. Fun game.
0: And then you end your you know your your Hawkeye career on a high note. Um, yeah. Year before you you guys have a rough time of it in the Orange Bowl, but then go back to Florida in the Outback Bowl and play, you know, a Florida team that people expected to to beat you guys and you guys just kind of, that was one of those games where it just seemed like you guys were physically superior.
1: Yeah. I I mean, there's always going to be the stigma. It doesn't matter, you know, really what the big 10 team versus an sec team. Like there's just this stigma that, you know, the sec teams are just that much better, that much more um, athletic, whatever you want to call it, which, you know, I, I think it's been proven too many times now that that's not the reality, but um, the Florida game, you know, I, unfortunately I tweaked my, like I had tweaked my ankle during the middle of the season and made a big play on like a, I want to say it was like a wide receiver screen, like a pretty big tackle. And the guy landed on my ankle and kind of broke up some scar tissue. So i missed a a decent amount of the second half, which kind of stinks in your last game, but it was good to end on a really big play. Um, and again, like just to go out to, to finish your senior season with a win, I mean that's how you wanna do it and you know, all those guys playing in that game, a lot of seniors making a lot of big plays. Um, it, it was just a cool experience. And to do it against a pretty big time school in Florida, even though they were kind of rebuilding at that time, um, is special in itself. You know, the Hawkeyes have kind of kind of made the Tampa their second home um over the last, you know, X amount of years and you know, that was our first experience down there and we had a blast and to win the game is even that much better. So, yeah, that was a that was a great memory.
0: I had a feeling you guys were going to win once Ron Zook said Nate Kading was a, yeah. a back.
1: Yeah, if if Nate had to run the ball, we might have been in trouble. But thankfully, uh,
0: <laughs> hey, Fred, he had the touchdown at Ohio State.
1: I, I mean, you couldn't sleep on Nate Kading. I think he won like 15 <laughs> state titles in high school between soccer and basketball and football. So he's pretty sneaky, although. Um, I don't think we want to hand the ball off to him 25 times a game.
0: <laughs> no. I think you guys are better off with Fred Russell carrying
1: the pigskin. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, I uh, Dave Rye coached with Ron Zook, uh, up with the Packers and they, yeah. he said they would talk about that game all the time. And i I'm, I should have been like, well, why didn't he, why didn't he get to uh, know the All-American kicker, um, and not stir up the pot a little bit for us? But you know, <laughs> It was fun. It was a good time. Good experience.
0: All right. All right. So I did find this list of my five questions that I ask at the end of these things that are just kind of fun walk down memory lane from your time at Iowa. Um, And the first question is, what what was your favorite place or where was your favorite place to hang out when you were here, non-restaurant or bar?
1: Ooh. Um. Well, at, in the early 2000s, pretty much every athlete lived out at Pheasant Ridge Apartments. Right. Um, you know, that's probably a rabbit hole we need to not go down. Yeah, we'll um, just
0: leave it at that. Uh,
1: but you know what? We A lot of us hung out there. We had a good group of guys um, that liked to golf. So we spent a lot of time golfing, um, you know, not never really at the same course. We just kind of bounced around different courses. Um, Nate Kading worked at a course in high school, so, um, we'd go up to North Liberty and golf a little bit there, hit balls out at the driving range. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time golfing, um, when the weather was nice.
0: And now the second one, I will let, I will open this up to bar restaurants. What was your favorite place to eat when you were a student at Iowa?
1: Um, well, because we lived out there on the west side, we 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 ate down at the Wiggin and Pen quite a bit. So that's kind of a an iconic Iowa City spot um, to go to if you're in town.
0: What was your meal of choice? Did you just go pizza? or Did you go Wigatoni or what, what? Yeah,
1: I was more of a Wigatoni guy. Um, yeah, Wigatoni brings back a lot of good memories there.
0: <laughs> Grant, what was your favorite um, course? of study, or professor while you were at Iowa?
1: Man, this guy would kill me if I didn't say his name. So (laughs) uh, Randy Hirokawa was the um, dean of the communications school, um, and I took a couple classes with him um, throughout that department. And he's actually now the uh, president or the dean at University of Hawaii Hilo and Randy was my advisor in college. Um, and so I had like changed my major into communications. Um, and I'm taking a class and, you know, typical first day you're introducing yourself and he says my name and he goes, sit down. I know who you are and stop fumbling the ball when you intercept it. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> hey thanks for putting me out there like that, Randy. Like, come on, man. But, uh, we've had, we've remained in touch over the years, especially when I moved to Hawaii. Um, you know, yeah, but Randy Hirokawa was a great professor. He was a big supporter of the of the program, like that guy would do every single recruiting visit um to meet with parents, um just a guy that was really all in with coach parents and helping the program, doing a lot of things like that. So you got a lot of professors like that ar- at at the school, and you know it's always good to have one of those guys that you know personally.
0: Yes, and I will. I will, uh, agree with you on that. I know Randy and I, when I was at the press citizen back in the day and his daughter played at city high, was an athlete and I covered her and I got to know Randy and I'm still friends with Randy on Facebook and he's a good guy and he looks like he's living the good life down there in Hawaii.
1: Yep. He's, he's, he's back at home and you know, he's loving it. Uh, the big island's a great place to be. You know, there's a lot of things to do there. You can get, um, you can get your uh, retirement years in well out there.
0: I think you mentioned Robert Gallery um, as your roommate at Iowa. Who else did you room with at Iowa?
1: So my uh, in the dorms, my first roommate was uh, um, Andy Borchers. Uh, mm. Or sorry, Corey Borchers. Corey, yeah. Yep, um, from Lamars. We played football and basketball against each other in high school. Um, and then when we moved out of the dorms, Jared Kloss, um, D. Lyman from West Des Moines, yep. and then Robert and I, we're all roommates. And then right across the street, you had, uh, Chad Greenway. Um, you had Eric Jensen across the road. You had, um, Colin Cole, Fred Barr, um, right across the road, Ramon Ochoa. Um, we all kind of lived in the same little spot. And then there was a lot of, a couple of the Mike Dolezal, um, mm-hmm. Fred, um, some of those guys were right across the road. So, yeah, my roommates were Robert and Jared, um, and, you know, they were in my wedding. Dave Rye was uh, in my wedding. You know, a lot of the guys from my era, you know, we, we, we do a pretty good job of staying close. You know, it's tough when you're coaching um, to get back to games. You know, they always want to get a reunion together, and I'm, I ha- I've had to miss every single, you know, reunion of things like that because I'm coaching. But uh, they keep me up to speed on all the you know the alumni stuff.
0: Do you watch the games, Grant? Do you try to get? Oh, do you get a oh, chance yeah. to
1: watch? Yeah, I mean, when I was living in Hawaii, I was up at 6 a.m. to watch the games. Um, if we're, you know, at on the road or in a meeting, I'm listening to Dolph on the radio. You know, <laughs> I've tried to call in several times, Dolph, to get on the post game show, and you never take my call. So, you <laughs> I'll, <know. laughs> I'll let them know. But yeah, I. I I know what's going on in the program. I might not know all the details like a, a die hard fan, but um I try to watch or listen to every single game.
0: Cool, cool. And then our last our last question here of our five is uh your favorite kirkism. Um could be a story, could be something that he was you remember him saying a lot that stuck with you. Uh something in that regard.
1: Not so much a saying it's coach coach has a great way of talking with his hands um, you know as someone in the media you've seen him you know at the podium all the time, but he would always do this one thing in the team meeting room, you know he would like be talking with his hands and thinking, and like his index finger, he would pull down on his bottom eyelid you know every so often, and i don't know if he knows he did it, but I think during one of the the like the the rookie shows um, Brian Ferentz, you know, he got up there to impersonate his dad because he's the only one that could do it, but he had it down perfect. And like, he finished it off if I remember right by like pulling down on his eyelid and then like grabbing <laughs> the gum out of his mouth and throwing it. So um yeah, coach coach does a great job of being animated with his hands when he, when he's in front of a group of people talking.
0: I've seen that eyelid move before. Yep. Uh, many, many times through the years. All right, Grant, well, again, I really appreciate you doing this. I kept you probably longer than than I wanted to or you wanted to, but uh it was great, great stuff to go over and some great stories and I, I appreciate you joining us.
1: Oh no, I appreciate it too. It it you know, it makes you feel um appreciated. You know, not only myself, but I I'm, I'm probably speaking for a lot of the former athletes um at Iowa that you know, there's guys like you doing stuff like this, um, you know, to you know, just to keep the connection with the, the fans and the, the players around. So um, I had a blast. And uh, just looking forward to the Hawkeyes having a great season this year.